0: luatak. Uvanga, Angela starts, and welcome to Real Indigenous, where these indigenous people get real about what a, what is on our screen and everything in between. With me, bringing thoughts, feelings, and critical minds is Maduika
1: Sunrise, Tipikani.
0: And we have a very special guest with us this week, if you'll introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about yourself.
2: Hi, I'm glad to be here today. My name is Billy Luther. I'm a writer-director. I'm Navajo, Hopi, and Laguna Pueblo. I currently live in LA.
0: How's the weather?
2: It's cool. It suns out, but you know, it's cool for us. You've come here, you would probably think it's warm (laughs) compared to you.
0: (laughs) Yeah, we woke up, it was like 20 something degrees. I was like, oh, guess what? No, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you so much for coming with us today. On Friday we were able to screen your latest film at Rodeo Cinema and we gave out free fry bread and awesome. the audience response was 100% in. Everybody loved it. Lots of laughter, which it, the best thing about seeing film in a theater is getting that shared experience and everybody laughing at the same parts and crying at the same oh. parts and everything. Yeah. Is that kind of what you're hearing from everybody?
2: Yeah, you know, we world premiere at South by Southwest in Austin in March. And since then, we've been doing this festival journey with it. TIFF, you know, Toronto, we've been going to Santa Fe. And the response has been really great in the audience, you know, in the theater. And that's something you miss, you know. Independent films right now are kind of struggling to to go into theaters. Now we're going to straight to to streamers. Being in a dark theater is just another experience, you know. But what I love is just, you know, the audience response, just the reactions, like you said, the laughter, you know, and then also to just like people really feeling touched what they see on the screen and the story that they see. So that's been
0: rewarding. Well, my favorite part is the whole thing (laughs) (laughs) and how to me, of course, coming across to me, it was like this love letter to the women who were part of your life growing up. And mm-hmm. all of the different burdens that they carry, and all of the different joy yep. and acceptance and love that they brought into that. So, this must be a very personal story for you.
2: Yeah. You know, when I started writing this story, it was, you know, somebody who was completely different, like the protagonist, you know, Benny, who was 11. It was very, you know, who's so distant from what I was trying to tell from, you know, my story. So, but as I kept writing, and diving deeper into this character, I put more and more of my, you know, my memory into it. It's not 100% my story, you know, it's, it's a, you know, I'm I'm really good at documentary kind of, you know, storytelling. That's kind of where my um, background, you know, the past 15 years, I've been working in nonfiction. So I did a little, you know, I played around with the characters and created some things from, from nothing kind of like, you know, these are, you know, for instance, there's no fry face in, in my life or my childhood. I just, you know, wanted to tell a story from the perspective of, you know, how people say the urban Indian and, and the traditional Indian. And I always felt conflicted growing up just with identity and living, you know, in California. Being mixed tribes um, was also just because my tribes are just very different from each other. And so I just, you know, had this idea, and I just created this story. And the more and more I do, it, like I said, I I, I went into this uh, character. It was really kind of very personal. I had to be vulnerable, but also just looking back, you know, at at a time that before cell phones and before you know streaming and 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 iPads, just the time you'd have at your grandmother's, just running around and getting you know dirty and rugged, and it was it was a, it was a memory for me.
1: Yeah, that was something that was so moving to me. Every time that I see it, it just uh, really harkens to some realism on the level of not just the space that we're in and the time, but this sort of like melange that you have of these different backgrounds, the the mm-hmm. different aspects of language, the different level of knowledge in terms of culture and and how all of these individuals comprise of the whole family. And all of that seems to be, one of the more more realistic things that are very relatable regardless Mm. of of where you relate to your own identity it feels like everyone is represented in that family and Mm. that was very moving it there's such truth to that even though i keep mentioning that it's a comedy and it's very funny and everybody relates to the humor but it's really incredible how you really get to the heart of all these different identities that unite and language is a part of that. The the objects, like I mentioned, is part of that. And who we're hearing as a part of that story is all part of that. It's really mm-hmm. moving. I'm curious if you if you had intentions related to the language, how much we hear of English, how much we hear of Navajo, how much we hear of the learning. It feels like that's that's partly some of the amazing charm of it is that we're, we're hearing and we're also learning to some degree. But mm-hmm. I'm curious if that how intentional some of that was.
2: Yeah. You know, I, like I said, I grew up in California and, you know, when I would go for my summers to the Navajo Res, you know, my grandmother's, you know, like the film, my grandmother only spoke Diné. She didn't speak English. And there was always a translator in my communication with her. And so when I would be alone with her in my summers, you know, there would, like I said, we couldn't communicate, but it was all physical. I think it just brought me closer to her. And, you know, by the time I left the res to go back home, I had a grasp on some of it, you know, because like the kid, you know, it's a little bit easier for you to take on things or remember things. And yeah, so that was, you know, just my childhood of, of the language of just that disconnect that you have with, you know, with your identity and your culture. And it was just, just you know it wasn't that I something that I wanted to hit people over the head with in the film but it was just very natural to me to tell this story what i'm seeing now in and when people's response and uh, now that the film's been out on Netflix and you uh, know on the festival journey people it resonates with people because people identify and also had that kind of language you know those the language disconnect and and you know their communication with their loved ones so I felt that, you know, it was it's just a very universal story, not just with indigenous people, you know, but other cultures, other races.
0: Oh, yeah. It totally took me back to my grandmother's house. My grandma Pruner in, in Chickasha with the linoleum mm. table, <laughs> the courier and I was print on the wall for some reason.
2: Mm. Yeah. It, you know what? The thing about that, too, is um, we had. Navajos and, uh, and other natives in every department, every crew, you know, in art department, in wardrobe, in hair and makeup. And it, the the great thing is that we didn't try to, you know, we didn't try hard to get it right. These were people who, who lived, you know, and hit, who experienced, you know, their grandmother's ranch and their grandmother's home. So it really was, you know, I would say effortless in a sense that we weren't trying hard to get it right. We just knew. And but you know, they worked a lot. We all kind of ransacked everybody's kind of family um homes and storage and and really brought you know that that to life. So so the set really felt lived. And that helped with the actors, you know, when they went on set. We created this world where they would actually feel that they were on the res at their grandmother's because we built that entire set and location from scratch. There was nothing but this empty. You know, lot this this land that was just there was nothing there. So we had our you know art department create build the corral you know with the crates that you know everyone kind of has on the res, the Hogan and just pulled in this trailer and dressed it up. So every time anyone went on set, it just felt authentic to us, and we treated it like Grandma's house and you know her ranch. I
0: I'm just I'm astonished that it was built from scratch. It just mm. I thought it was. Locations found like the perfect spot.
2: <laughs> it's just a testament to the people who worked hard on it, you know. Uh Natalie banali we just we just really kind of like I said, we just talked about it. And then, you know, I had a screening, you know, at the you know, I think it was in, in South by Southwest. Um, there was a Navajo man, you know, the QA. And he got up to ask, not really ask a question. He made a statement and his his voice cracked. He said, I remember that specific mug. That my grandmother had that was on the table. And it just kind of brought him to tears. And that was just a statement. It wasn't a question. And that's when I knew that we had created something special and unique. And now, kind of like how the film is out, you know, in ne- on Netflix, I'm seeing it. You know, I'm hearing the responses. People are tagging me in, and saying, Oh my gosh, you know, I had that, you know, I dressed up like in my grandmother's skirts and danced in the sheep corral or you know, I remember that kind of, uh, you know, that, that tablecloth or, you know, it's it's really exciting to see that.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. My that was had a whole drawer full of scarves. Yeah. All <laughs> of his cousins would dig into the scarves and make up stuff and perform. Oh, my gosh. Yes. All all the memories.
1: Yeah. I will, I will say that that was me that was crying at the South by Southwest screening. It was like difficult to get my my statement out because it was I was so moved. It was really Incredible. And every time I watch it, I also come to some sort of tear. There's just something that wells up in me about how much you've been able to capture this experience. And, And it is it's about the cup. It's about the clothing. It's about the language. And it also just evokes these memories I had of my own grandmother. And I keep seeing this particular statement that I hear other people make is that they are able to spend time with their grandmother in a way that they haven't had before. Angela just mentioned it. I feel like that is something I keep hearing and that's resonant. And in fact, Mm. this last time that we watched it on Friday, I completely forgot that I had a a dream very similar to what you're describing as having that language dream where you're able to converse.
0: Mm. And there's
1: something really hitting a trigger there that uh, I had completely forgotten until this last screening. And there's something really amazing about how you're able to touch all of these sort of subconscious things that we have about what recall of our past helps us kind of connect intergenerationally Mm -hmm. Um, and that feels like there's a lot of healing there that kind of doesn't happen in maybe non-native work and i'm uh you're kind of talking about how all of these individuals brought in stuff from their own experience i'm curious Mm -hmm. if there's anything that you brought to the location objects some uh imagery if there's anything that seemed to come directly from your youth besides the story.
2: Yeah. You know, I, the GI Joe dolls that Benny plays with in the film oh. which were actually my GI Joe dolls. Wow. Um, You know, and all the kind of the Navajo nation fair posters, you know, was from my, um, my mom's, you know, um, storage, like I said, you know, also too, just the, the, just, uh, the elements of 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 the cups and and things that were just around my you know upbringing, but you also brought up something that made me think too. It's like going back to the story; it was a memory of mine, and I thought it was just a personal story, a unique you know journey that this kid takes on because that's kind of my my like I like I said, it's it's kind of my story. It is my story, and just hearing how it, it hits people and um it reminds them of their childhood of their grandmother their cousins you know their bonds that they had and their aunties and uncles it's in different tribes it's not just navajo it's all you know within our native community and i i just i i had to write you know i i had to write this story as an adult you know i had to have kids um that experience of being a father to really understand what things were going on around me as a kid, you know, what was happening with my uncles at the time, what was happening with my parents at the time. And I needed to grow. I needed to, you know, become an adult to really understand what that meant. And I'm, you know, getting closer to kind of understanding, you know, how how things were and what my parents and relatives were going through. And I couldn't, I couldn't have written this in my 20s. I had to, you know, be the age I am now. Which I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> You're fine. <laughs> I, I've noticed
1: that there's quite a number of crew members that are also uh, working on Dark Winds. At least season two it seems like uh Buzz there and um, Ryan bigay Dave Stevens, sound recordist. Yeah, Eliminally. Natalie. Yeah, I'm curious mm-hmm. about if that's accidental and you know, or how the crew came about and if there's anything that sort of affected back and forth like if working on this helped anything on dark winds or vice versa?
2: You know, we filmed Fry Bread the summer of 2021, and uh Dark Winds was just going into production like a couple months after our film. And um our film was shot in uh, New Mexico and Dark Winds is shot in New Mexico. So you know there's um there's work for a lot of brew and cast if you live in new mexico because of the tax incentives that a lot of productions are you know going to new mexico for like breaking bad and you know a lot of other shows um i think that it was just a coincidence and they're very talented you know uh Desma was wonderful in wardrobe she understood what you know colors and clothing were at the time and natalie you know natalie's you know acting in dark winds and but she was um the art in the art department and i just and ryan was in the camera and cam, you know and ryan begay is you know acting in dark winds so it was just by accident it wasn't you know there wasn't going back and forth with it
1: yeah that's just i guess a good sign of how multi-talented we are and kind of like the maybe independent filmmaking air in new mexico one thing that I really struck by just that seems to be very specifically Dene is the, the weaving um, mm-hmm. there's some explanation about gender, which I think is interestingly, and that's sort of thematic, but also it seems like there's this um, kind of subtext about uh, the way out. And it, it, it's interesting to me that that parallels these questions that we have or these uh, repetitions of cycles we have of people that are in this space and then they leave and, that's also duplicated by the sheep that's in the corral and it gets out and then whether or not the uncle is going to get out. And then it also has to some degree of, it seems like it's related to coming out. And uh, I'm just curious if, if all of those things were things you were thinking about, if that's something that I'm also just seeing, Can you talk about all of those, maybe some of those things.
2: All of them? Yeah. You, you know, you got it. I you know, I experienced my identity as a very, you know, emotional journey. It was, you know, cathartic in a sense that, you know, I had the support of my um, aunties and my mother and my grandmother, you know, the matriarchs of, of my family. And... I also believed, you know, my uncles, you know, were very, you know, masculine in their bull riding and and other, you know, parts of their lives. But I think that if we go back into our traditional ways, there's no judgment in terms of masculine and feminine, you know, being feminine. I just think it's more of like Western culture kind of like being influenced on us, you know. Um, the experiences that we've had in, in boarding school, with our relatives, and and I think that that comes into play in in the story. And I didn't want to just be front and center with it. I really wanted it to be this kind of natural, organic way of storytelling, which, you know, my grandmother was a traditional weaver and she would tell me stories about the designs of her of her rugs and i i just felt like it was, she was just a natural storyteller for me and you know creating this project you know i look back and i had to weave these stories these themes and and family and you know gender and identity and and just kind of and i just felt there was a parallel between you know my grandmother and i and in, in our storytelling, and and I I remember, you know, it was one of the aunts that I had was was she was saying, your grandmother was a story. This is late late in my grandmother's um, life. So your grandmother is a storyteller, and I feel that she passed it to you, and um, that hit me. You know, I was already in film school, and that hit me, and I take great responsibility in the stories I tell, just as my grandmother did. And just the way she, you know, spoke about the creation stories and how these rogues and, and we put that in the film. Uh, Sarah Nitani, who plays the grandmother, is a traditional weaver and that's her livelihood. And it was really very, very natural for her to to um just tell the story of, you know, the weavers path out, you know, always kind of leaving the door open in in a sense for so things can naturally flow in and out of your lives. And I felt that that was always kind of the thread that was, you know, in this story. That makes
1: sense. I mean, just the way you're describing it, you're clearly making a parallel between traditional Diné artwork and weaving with cinema. That's very interesting. Like the the idea of threads, you seem to be relating mm-hmm. to narrative. Obviously it's related to story. And then the way you're kind of balancing all these things, it's really it's really fascinating. And it's clear how you're uh, distinctly an artist that's indigenous and particularly Diné. But uh, we're talking a lot about Diné. I'm curious about if there's any other tribal influence.
2: When natives, you know, watch the film, they they get certain you know, jokes and, and the humor um, that maybe a non-native audience wouldn't get, you know. I, you know, just my father being Hopi and my mom being Navajo, there was always some sort of teasing in between both both families. I was always kind of, as a kid, kind of questioning it. But then I, you know, like I said, when I when I now that I'm adult, I, I felt, I, oh, I got it. I got some of the humor of what my family was, you know, was saying around the dinner table. I think, you know, there's really uh, it's 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 woven through. I think like different tribes. Benny, you know, is is. I don't mention it in the film per se, but I, you know, explain it kind of in my, um, in my script. And, you know, cause I, I have him as also being multi-tribal and uh, I guess you would think the other grandmother who brings him to Winslow, you know, is, is not a uh, Navajo. And I just, yeah, I, I, it's, it's, I don't know what else to say about it. It's just an experience. I think a memory that I look back on and I don't try to hit, at these kind of uh, are or connect the, I don't try to connect the dots
0: can you share a little bit about how the casting went about being able to find these young performers because I mean you've got some breakout roles right there especially for fry bread phase or dawn
2: yeah I can't thank Angelique Midthunder enough she Mid Thunder casting Stacey Rice and her really looked far and wide for our main characters, because they had to carry the film. And we were casting during the peak of pandemic. So there was no physical in-person casting. All of it was done through Zoom. And that's tough, because you want to know the chemistry between your characters or your actors. And I wanted to kind of see how they also played in front of me. And so they were rehearsing or putting, uh, reading their lines through their laptop or phone cameras so it was a crap shoot you know we went to new mexico and we to you know a week before we started filming and i just prayed that everybody you know had some sort of chemistry and thankfully they did charlie we saw her who plays don fry bread her her tape came and my producer chad burris and i were very like sure like definite that was going to be fry um she just had energy that was just beyond what i wrote you know my i i She just brought, you know, and then on screen, on camera, she's just incredible. For Benny, Kier Tallman, he was really shy and and very soft spoken, and that's what I loved about Kier was he was so expressive with his eyes. It just was. Just this kid that kind of felt real. And so when we put him, you know, in front of the camera, I, I really liked that shyness from him. And kind of it helped with his kind of fish out of water story. But then the two of them, you know, when uh, Kier and Charlie were together, he saw how she, you know, worked and had this like big personality and he went along for the ride with her. That's just on screen. That's just magic. You can't really, you know, try, you can try to create it, but that was just something that I. Would, I everybody was, and the, the adults who also are in the film, the actors, the same thing. They were just in awe of how the two of them worked. Um, everybody was a non actor. You know, this is the first film except for Martin Sensmeyer and Jeremiah Bitsui and Morningstar. The, the three of them have worked before, but everybody else was a non actor or, or, you know, first time actors.
1: Well, we're talking about acting the, the, uh, the sequence where aunt Sharon, uncle Roger come over is so like, it's so hilarious. And a lot of it mm. I think is, is just the, the inflection and the performance and what seems to be like, a taking a very distinct form of a, of a Navajo speak. Um.
2: (laughs) Yeah. You know, we had fun with that. I love my resi ants. you know, they were hard, but it wasn't like they didn't love me, but they were just hard women. And, you know, and I love that. They were so strong. They had so much strength and, and love, but they were so direct with whatever, you know, their tone. And I really wanted to play with that. And then, you know, Jeremiah just brought this kind of Navajo uncle into, into the fold of this family. And, you know, I just, you know, I remember my auntie getting this really, you know, uh, tight perm. And, you know, it was uh, in the 80s. And <laughs> it really, really struck me. And and she never got another perm after that. But it was just so tight. And I just wanted, you know, Nasheen who plays... Um, Sharon, Aunt Sharon, to really go with that, and she's like, "Okay, I got it." Because everybody, you know, the the cast, um, Martin Stensby, he's like, "I have an uncle like Marvin. I ha- I grew up with that uncle," and and also, you know, the other care, the other actors. So I think it was really I, I wanted some humor, and I don't know if you remember that uh, movie uh, Vacation you know with Chevy Chase and they go visit you know I think it's Randy Quaid's family and, and I thought that was a really funny part in the uh, the movie Vacation so I thought that you know this was kind of like a, a, a play on that these other uh, just they, they just bring another energy to the film and they come and go and it's just like it's a moment that I think that really plays well
0: and did I see a little nod to Priscilla Queen of the Desert in there? There's a lot of nods.
2: (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot in there. Um,
0: Yeah, I'm not going to, you know, point them out. But yeah, there's
2: there's a lot. And uh, yeah, yeah, there's a lot. lot. (laughs) Just the movies that influenced me, you know, that just that influenced me. And I just put like little pieces in there.
1: Yeah, that's very cool. This makes me realize that maybe we should have a whole franchise out of this. It'd be great if there were, you know. I bred Christmas uh, for example. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, you know, we you know as the days we're getting, you know, we were wrapping. Everybody was just so in love with each other set and we just formed a family and we were like, you know, uh someone brought up, "Let's do a sequel where Fry goes to San Diego." <laughs> you know. <laughs> so that was like, "Oh yeah, you know, that was just funny, but I just love these characters so much and people are falling in love with these characters too. And that's really special. I'm just seeing on social media their aunties. Or you know what's really cool too is like there's a lot of people showing their their corrals. There's a lot of photographs on social media saying, you know, that's our crate corral. And that's pretty cool to see people just kind of going back into their their family photos and and, and you know, posting these memories.
1: Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, that does feel like that's a, an untapped area hearing all these mm. elements of corrals. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. Uh, I'm curious. uh, We have a little bit of time. I'm curious if you're, if you're able to talk at all about dark winds, Um, not necessarily season three, but maybe some of season two.
2: Right. Well, yeah. Season two, you know, we hit some bumps in season one. I'm not going to go really go into (laughs) that too deep. I think it's really important that we have Navajo crew members in every department and we didn't in season one, you know, we had uh, native writers in the room. It was all native. There was six of us. There were all native writers room. I don't think that's enough. You know, when you're making a series about a Navajo community, it was quite disappointing at times, but I, I'm not going to say anything else negative, but I'm just saying that we we always strive to do better on that show, but and we're, we're entering season three and we're just starting to um, we just came back from the strike. So our room, you know, our writer's room is full full steam ahead. We're excited about it. But I, I will go back and say, and it's very important that we have natives and Navajos in every department, every, it just, it we need it. And, and that's why I think a lot of young artists and filmmakers, it's great that, that you know, everybody wants to be writer directors, but we need native editors. We need, you know, native Composers, native art department, natives in wardrobe. It makes a huge difference. And um, if I had a Navajo editor on Fry Bread, it would probably been something else too. But I had a wonderful um non-native editor, Fred Kochman, who really dove into the Navajo community. He had conversations with different Navajo people, all the actors, and it was, you know, his strengths really, you know, shine. And, and especially him being not. Navajo and editing the the language, <laughs> the Navajo <laughs> language, which was pretty you know daunting for him, but um, he loved that challenge. And we had somebody working with him in in the translation. And also for for me, sometimes Navajos you you say oh or you know, and they don't understand that that means yes, mm-hmm. and they think it's somebody making a sound. I'm like, no, you got to keep that in. That's yes, mm-hmm. you know, oh. And it's just, you know, it's really important, like I said, getting natives in all areas and especially editing. I think that's I'm, I'm always looking for a native editor, always.
0: Now, is New Mexico really starting to build that crew base?
2: Yeah, they have it going on. I mean, Chad Burris is just uh, appointed Academy, nurturing and supporting aspiring artists. And I think that that is going to be a start of of something special. But I see a lot of natives in terms of in the crew area. And that's exciting to see in New Mexico.
1: Yeah, but you're right. We definitely need native editors, especially Navajo editors. We need all, all tribes, really. Uh, right that would be really
2: great to see and you know and editing too that's where your story that's the real dive into your story you know it's you can have a great script if you don't have a good editor that's like it's not gonna you know you're, you're not gonna have a, a a good film it's it's finding those those moments those you know maybe camera looks that you know an actor gives or a gesture that isn't in your script that you're like oh that's that's perfect you know And Charlie gave us a lot of that in her performance that wasn't in the script. It just could have been a look or, you know, a a moment or something that she did, you know, naturally. Mm -hmm. And um, we really uh, worked with that, you know, and and Kier too. Kier just had these little, you know, awkward moments as a kid. Mm -hmm. But Kier now is like like a young man, you know, he went to a screening (laughs) and he's just like, he's like six feet tall and his voice is deep. (laughs) So it was, you know, we hit a special time in in his life.
0: Well, we want to be respectful of your time and we appreciate your visiting with us. We have two questions that oh, we ask all of our interviewees. They're not, they're not scary. Don't worry. <laughs> the first one is what are you reading or listening to or watching or consuming in some way that's inspiring you right now?
2: Right now, I am reading a book by Ramona Emerson and it's called Shudder um yes yes so have good. You, yeah have you read it
0: oh yes she oh, was on the my show gosh. yeah so good. I
2: she is and we we've known each other for years you know we were both in the kind of the documentary world and I I got it like because I went I've been you know traveling a lot you know with the festival so I wanted something to read for those long journeys and I fell in love with that book she's such a magnificent writer um and storyteller and how she wove all of that kind of You know, the crime and and also seeing these kind of ghosts, and, you know, it's just, it's really a fascinating ride. And how she ties it all together with the grandmother. And I don't know. I just don't, I mean, I could talk more about it, but I just give things away. But that's just an, an incredible book. I highly recommend it.
0: Agreed. And it's supposed to be the start of a series. So. We're all very oh my excited god! Yes, isn't that cool? Oh my god! Yes, that's so needed.
2: You know, I, I just yeah, it's an and her story is so interesting that I didn't know she was a crime photographer in real life. You know? Right, yeah. I did yeah. not yeah. know that. I've known her so long and I didn't even know that. I mean, that's <laughs> such a such a weird because you're crossing these these lines of being Navajo and crime and and seeing kind of like death and being surrounded with that. So. There's this really interesting conflict and dilemma. And I just felt she did it so well in the book. And yeah, that's exciting to see and and to hear that.
0: So our second question is, what advice would you give your younger self?
2: Oh, you know, I, um, ah, the advice I would give my younger self would be just to keep going in terms of, you know, I, I questioned so much in my life with, you know, I, with my upbringing, You know, I I was born into kind of religion, you know, Catholicism and, and Christianity. And it was, I look back and it's quite traumatic, but I just would tell the younger Billy, keep going, don't give up, you know, and find your true, your true self, because I was so afraid to really be myself, you know, in my teen years. And it just, you know, I just blossomed, I guess, after when, after I went, And went to college because I was living in in Chicago at the time. Yeah, it was hard. I had a um, difficult childhood and I would just tell him to just keep going. And, you know, I'm going to go back into something else that I forgot to say is what inspired me to kind of write before, you know, I knew I was going to be a filmmaker was my mom had this old typewriter and I would write, you know, with two fingers, you know, tap, tap, tap my stories. And I felt that, that it was just so like a part of my, um, my life because I didn't have many friends growing up. So I would just sit and write short stories. And I think that's what really carried me through my childhood and, and what I was going through, you know, being gay being native you know outside of the res it was it was difficult you know I was the only native in in school and our family was like the only native that we knew in our in our social environment. so it was it was a challenge and so yeah I think going back to your question it would just be you know have no fear it's gonna get better. Great. great words.
0: Well thanks again for joining us. It's, and... been well, it's been fun.
2: It's been fun. I like, you know, why I like it because I, I go on these kind of these media interviews and they're always asking the same questions. And this one felt fresh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad. I'm so Yay! glad. Fantastic. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. You'll have to come back. I will. Yes. Anytime. Please watch it again. And then maybe you have more questions and I'll come back.
0: okay i i will definitely say yes to that and tell everyone (laughs) to watch it on netflix
2: absolutely on netflix
0: on netflix okay everyone thanks for listening we will catch you next time same indigenous time same indigenous channel be sure to find us on our show socials on facebook twitter and instagram and we have a patreon and remember don't just keep it real Keep it real Real indigenous.